Welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our April UX event, where you'll hear from Ingrid Cruz, Jack Aidy, Rob Metcalf, David Cameron, and Todd Rhodes. All of these presenters are currently on the product team at RainFocus. They'll talk about how to build and measure an effective, minimal viable product, and look at case studies from the work done at RainFocus. You'll walk away with tools for discussion and measurement to help your own team achieve better outcomes. A big thanks to RainFocus for hosting this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack, where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX, product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find more information about Product Hive at ProductHive.org. So now, let's hear the Rain Focus product team's talk how to build an effective MVP. Hi, guys. How's everyone doing? Good. All right, so this is me, and here is what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, we're gonna talk about some of the principles behind a good MVP. We'll also talk about some use cases from RainFocus and how we built some MVPs here, and also how great teamwork really helps us uh, enable great outcomes. So I want you to all envision yourself standing in front of Buckingham Palace in London, where you are about to embark on what might be the opportunity of a lifetime because you are competing with eight other world-famous bakers for the opportunity to bake the cake for the royal wedding. Wow, it's kind of a big deal. So you're a little bit nervous. As you're standing there, the judge comes out. <laughs> Anyone know this guy? So he presents you with a terrifying twist to this challenge. You have one hour. And you think to yourself, one hour? No one can bake a wedding cake in one hour. You need five sponge cakes that each take 45 minutes just to bake in the oven. So you're starting to panic just a little bit when the idea hits you. If the outcome you're looking for is for the judges to see your entire range of skills as a pastry chef, what if you apply those skills to something smaller? A very, very small cake. A cupcake. So a cupcake only takes 18 minutes to bake. And you have plenty of time to make frosting, put all the decorations on, and really impress the judge. So you're feeling much better about the whole thing. You get going on the cupcake batter, get the cupcakes in the oven, do all the things you need to do with the frosting decorations. And by the time you're done, you still have five minutes to spare. So you take a look around the kitchen at the other contestants. Some are waiting impatiently in front of their ovens. Some are crying. Some are swearing. There's a purse on the floor in a fetal position. It's a very chaotic situation. And then the judge comes out again. So he's starting to taste the cakes on the other side of the room. And as he gets closer, it's very obvious that he's not happy with what he's seeing. So eventually, he makes his way over to your table he takes a look at your cupcake and his face lights up. So he takes a bite and looks you in the eye 
and you get the handshake. That's a big deal. So clearly you got the job, but why did that happen? Well, you were able to show the judges all the things you could do. Cake, frosting, presentation, just in a smaller package. So the actual wedding cake would have taken you about five hours to make, but the experience of eating the cupcake was exactly the same. So the cupcakes were, were judged on three criteria. Cake, frosting, presentation. And you delivered all three. So just for fun, let's see how your competition did. <laughs> let's ask the same questions. Did they finish the cake? Did they do the frosting? And do these cakes look appropriate for a royal wedding? Well, none of them probably succeeded at all three. So the first one has sponge cake only. The rest are kind of a variety of attempts to add frosting. Um, the cat maybe doesn't look quite appropriate for a royal wedding. And the last one just said, I tried. So let's see how you did. How about that? So you did the cake, you did the frosting, and they look entirely appropriate for a royal wedding, so great job. You might be thinking though, I don't make cupcakes for a living, so what does this have to do with me? Well, with the cupcakes, you spent a very short amount of time on making something that you could measure and learn from. So if the outcome wasn't good and the judges told you, hey, your sponge cake is dry or your frosting tastes weird, you could go back and change that within just one more hour. So in a similar way, with an MVP, you want to uh, spend a small amount of time in creating something that you can measure and learn from very, very quickly. And so you want to see if your efforts are actually meeting customer needs and also see if customers actually want what you've built, which is sometimes referred to as a minimum lovable product. But how do you know if you did that successfully? So here at RainFocus, we measure our MVPs in two ways. So one is a generic measurement that we kind of apply across all of our product. And the second way is a more project-specific measurement that is determined by the outcome that we're looking for. And I'll talk more about that later. So our generic measurement is CXI. Anyone familiar with CXI? One person. <laughs> and you work here. <laughs> So CXI stands for Customer Experience Index. And this is a, a framework that actually came from measuring brand experiences in retail, but it translates beautifully to product. So when we measure CXI, we ask our users, after interacting with our product or prototype, three questions. So question one, on a scale from one to five, how well did this meet your needs? Question two, how easy was it to use? And then question three, how enjoyable was it? And then we take the average of those three scores, and that becomes our CXI score, which then will be a number between one and five. Now the typical way to approach an MVP is to focus obsessively over that bottom layer, the sponge cake, right? But if you only deliver sponge cake, you only get feedback on the sponge cake, which really does not reflect your product vision. And people typically don't love sponge cake. So a good MVP should deliver something in all three of these layers. So you do need to deliver functionality, obviously, right? But also the other two. In a similar way, if you flip the pyramid on its head, you can't just deliver something that's enjoyable if it doesn't meet the needs of the user. So you need to deliver all three and somehow balance those. And I'll, I'll talk about an example of that, what that might look like. Who's familiar with Flickr? 
So a lot of you guys. So 15 years ago, Flickr was the place to share photos online. So they allowed you to upload high resolution photos. They would display them beautifully in slideshows. They had very advanced filtering where you could sort by location, even color, right? Um, and then at the same time, Facebook is a fairly small company at this point, but they're looking to adding a photo sharing service to their product. And where Flickr had this massive team of people that had worked on this for years, um, Facebook had a very small group that only had months to get it done. So the initial product from Facebook in terms of photo sharing only allowed you to upload low resolution photos that looked very grainy. But there was one feature that they did include that ended up being such a game changer that within a short amount of time, Facebook became the most used photo sharing service in the world. Can anyone guess what that feature was? I heard tagging and that's it, good job. Um, so tagging was something that they added and um, the, the reason they did that is the team realized that what's most important to people about their photos is the people in them, right? So when you go to people's homes, you look at what do they have displayed on, on their mantles, on their walls. They're not abstract landscape photos typically, they're photos of people. And so the social aspect of this uh, feature was so valuable to people that it really set Facebook, um, let them become the leader in this space. So let's go back to this triangle um, and look at this feature and where it belongs. So it doesn't go at the bottom of this pyramid, right? People could upload their, their photos just fine without tagging. Um, it has nothing to do with ease of use either. It really belongs at the top of the pyramid, where a lot of times the innovation and differentiation happens. And so when you're thinking about an MVP, don't cut yourself short on those things, because those things could be what really sets you apart. So the other way we measure MVPs is a more project-specific measurement. And that's when we talk about things like task completion, completion, adoption, time to task, et cetera. And it's defined by the problem we're trying to solve and the ideal outcome. So what you see here is what we call our measurement guide, which is a library of measurements that we put together that the teams can use to get ideas of what and how to measure something. And we're going to share this with all of you guys after this event. In order to measure something, though, we have to know where we're going, right? Um, we have to know what the ideal outcome is, because that allows us to then work backwards and create a plan to get there. So in my example, the end destination was the wedding cake. And by the way, this is going to get really messy. Um, so without the vision for the final outcome, uh, a successful next step might as well be a peanut butter cupcake. But since we know where we ultimately want to go, uh, we know that we have to do something to get us closer to that. So maybe a birthday cake. So that's why you start by talking about the outcomes. What will this look like if we're successful? And then how do we measure it? And in order to do, to do that, we have to ask the right questions at the very beginning of a project. And so that's why we created uh, this project brief. And we're going to share this with you as well. So the project brief helps us answer some crucial questions, like what is the job to be done? What problem are we solving and for who? And how do we know if we're successful? And the important thing here is that we write it all down so that we all walk away aligned around exactly what we agreed on. We have it written down and we can come back to it later. So next, we're going to talk about some use cases of how we put this into action. Okay, everyone, how's it going? My name is Rob Metcalf. I'm a UX designer here at Rain Focus, and I'm really excited to be talking to you all today. And I wanted to teach you all a life hack for building MVPs, and it is this. 
know who the MVP is for. And I want to teach you how to do this by telling our story as a company. So Rain Focus was started by these three gentlemen, Travis, Doug, and Mike, who are, all have been in the events industry for a long time and are amazing guys. When um, they started Rain Focus, their initial vision for the product was to build a reporting tool that would allow companies to get their event data year over year and do analytics on it. <clears throat> um, and as they were building this tool, they got a call from one of their biggest customers, Oracle. And Oracle was frustrated. They were super frustrated with the software that they had to use to build their events. And I don't blame them. There are a lot of great tools out there to build events. However, for Oracle, their events are so complicated and require so much custom development that it takes a really long time for them to build them. And it costs a lot of money, not to mention they're really hard to scale. And so when we heard this from Oracle, we started thinking as a company that this was something that we could do really well, given our experience. And so we called Oracle back and we said, we're in. We'd love to do it. But Oracle said very quickly that there was a catch, that we had six weeks to build this product. Six weeks was no time at all to build this product. I really want to emphasize that. <laughs> it was no time at all. <clears throat> but we started thinking, what is the minimum we can make to accomplish two goals? The first being to get Oracle's event up and running in six weeks, and then also, secondly, to set us up in the future to do this again for somebody else, for other clients. And so we ended up coming with, up with a tool that is called Workflow Builder. It's an internal tool that allows us, our internal team, to set up events in weeks rather than in months, and also allows them to do all that crazy customization that Oracle needed, but without having to go to developers for help. And I wanted to show you all the very first version of our app. And it looks like this. <laughs> and I did not get the wrong slide. <laughs> that really is the MVP for Workflow Builder. It allowed our internal team to make small adjustments to the code that you guys are seeing here to make pages like this one for Oracle. And these pages allow people to register for events, to sign up to be speakers, and a whole host of other things. But the question that we're all here today for is was this an MVP? And we could have a heated debate of whether this is an MVP or not. But from our perspective, it absolutely was an MVP for our internal users. And there's a specific reason. Because our internal users were very comfortable at this time making adjustments to the code. They were totally fine getting their hands dirty. <clears throat> and while it looks too minimal, this MVP hit every part of the MVP pyramid that Ingrid talked about. It met the needs because they could do their job. It was easy for them to use. And most of all, it was enjoyable, <clears throat> which can blow your mind because it's literally just code. But it was enjoyable because they didn't have to go to developers for help anymore. And it totally changed the way that they worked. <clears throat> but there is one big thing that we need to talk about, and that's this that it was not an MVP for everybody. There is no way in the world anyone could come off of the street and learn this tool without training. It is very, very complicated. But the thing is, is that we didn't build it for anybody coming off the street. We build it for a specific group of people. And that is the point. When all of us are building MVPs, we need to know who we are building them for. Because that is the only way we can build something that actually changes the way that they work and the way that they live. So using Workflow Builder, we ended up launching Open World, one of Oracle's biggest events in San Francisco with over 40,000 attendees. And it went amazingly well. So well, in fact, that we hired 
oh, sorry, that we signed two other clients shortly thereafter. And suddenly at Rain Focus, there were three clients. There, were a, there was a bunch of work for us to do. <clears throat> and so we started hiring like crazy. We hired people to start running these events for our clients. And as these people were starting out, we realized that there was a big problem. The problem was that <clears throat> what was working before for our team as an MVP was too complicated for these new people to understand. We had built a tool that, while served all of their purposes and hit every part of the triangle, was really only focused now on the bottom part. It was very complicated to use, and it was definitely not enjoyable. <laughs> and so we were stuck in kind of a hard place at this point. And we didn't know exactly where to go, but we, need, we knew we needed to change something. Um, but we didn't necessarily know how. So I wanted to turn the time over to Jack to talk about how we did that. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Jack Hady. I'm a product manager here at RainFocus. Oh, there's a lot of people. Kind of wish there was an MVP of you guys right now. But <laughs> I, uh, I work on the red team here at RainFocus. We focus on uh, event registration and all things Workflow Builder. I work with a lot of really brilliant people and, and Rob. Uh, so we work on Workflow Builder, and I'll talk a bit more about that. So as Rob mentioned, our customers really love our software. They have a lot of demands, but they're thrilled with what we're giving them. So everything's perfect, right? Well, actually, we have more companies who have approached us wanting to use our software for their events than we had bandwidth to handle. So it was time for us as a company to scale because that limitation was building out the workflows. And that's our territory. So let's take another look at our CXI pyramid. So this is for our clients. These are the, the oracles of the world hosting the event. And they're really demanding, but they're thrilled with our output and, and the outcome that they get. Uh, and it's because we offer that flexibility without using uh, custom development that's really expensive and takes a long time. Uh, we actually have a quote here. This is a real quote from this month from a client who's told us, rain focus changed my life. So we're sitting pretty. Now, for our internal users, that group that's growing with hiring new people, um, they can get the job done. They just don't like me. So as you can see from our pyramid here, we've completely lost the uh, ease of use and enjoyability sections. They're gone because that wall of JSON that Rob showed, that's their day-to-day -day life. So they're in there. Uh, this means that a, a relatively simple request, like, hey, can you change the, uh, the displayed order of packages on a page, that involves not package names, but ID numbers, and you're in the code, and you're not a developer, and you're cutting and pasting and crossing your fingers, hoping you didn't break the page worse. And so the output obviously is great, but it's a, it's a complex tool that takes a lot of time. So before I jump into our plan to address Workflow Builder with an MVP approach, I want to take a look at some other famous MVPs. Uh, first up is Google+. This was Google's plan to take down Facebook. Uh, the market at that time, much like today, didn't like Facebook, and we wanted to use something else, so it was a really great opportunity. So Google got people excited, and then they did a beta with 10,000 people. Now, 10,000 total users at a social network is sort of like attending a party by yourself. It was depressing and bad, and they kept doing it. They cycled this for a long time. And eventually, people just lost interest. And the reason that 
Google missed their opportunity in the super ripe market is because their goals were unfocused and their time frame was, it just went too long. So another famous MVP, the first iPhone came out in 2007 and that's, that's a teeny little phone. That's a 3.5 inch screen. I mean, most of us wouldn't buy a phone that small. Um, and it's got the iconic black wallpaper on there because you had to, because you couldn't change the wallpaper. Um, and even if you tried to, it would take a long time because there was no 3G. This was like a dial-up smartphone. And, but it was good because it didn't take a long time to download apps because there were no apps. So it seems like this feature set is like really narrow, but if you go back and watch this keynote, the audience stands up and cheers. Apple knew exactly what their users needed, and they delivered it right at the right time. And so this was a perfect MVP. And they improve on it all the time, obviously. Uh, and that's where we felt like we were at Rain Focus, is we had this MVP of Workflow Builder that people really love, but we needed to take it to the next level. So in order to do that, we needed to identify the problems that we needed to solve. So here we are again with our trouble version of Workflow Builder. At a high level, the problem was the time it took to build these workflows and to troubleshoot them. Uh, digging down a little bit deeper, if you're a new user, this learning curve is really, really steep. It's going to take a while before that looks like anything to you. Uh, even for our experienced users, it was a tedious and time-consuming process. So especially if you're troubleshooting, you're like, okay, brackets and commas, those exist, right? And it's, it's really difficult. And then anytime we add a new feature to this, it, start, it starts a cycle over for everybody with, okay, this doesn't look familiar, I'm confused, I'm frustrated. So here's what we did. We made a powerful and visual solution. Each of these cards that you can see up here represent the steps and the web pages and emails that the event attendees are actually going to see. And you can make all the configurations and customizations in the world, and you never had to dig into the code. And last of all, because we're using our consistent design language, that means that when we add new features, they're not going to look out of place and confusing. It's going to be intuitive. So this was the plan that we executed to get our successful update MVP for Workflow Builder. Now the question comes back again, was it an MVP? Well, we worked really hard to know what our users needed and to deliver this as quickly as we could. But it was a really broad set of features. Oh, I'm labeling these as MVPs. Someone told me that they didn't know who those people were. So shame if you're one of those people. But um, regardless of the size of the project, you need to be an expert who knows your users and makes a call. There is no set of criteria or template for you to use in advance of MVP. It's going to require you to be an expert. And I have three important questions you can ask yourself throughout the process that can help you stick to that MVP plan. First, are we addressing the real problems with our solutions? This is obviously very important, so you're not working in the wrong direction. Also revisit, is this the fastest and simplest way we can do this? And last of all, and this might be more for the design folks here, is it just cool? Because like, it's mean to trick product people with like, fancy animations, we're going to say yes. So, so let's take one last look at the CXI pyramid. Um, again, for our clients hosting the events, they're really happy. We added new features, things never got hard for them, and their events are hugely successful, so things are sitting pretty. Now, moment of truth for our growing internal users. We actually see huge improvement here, and our ease of use 
just the, the time to learn, the time to troubleshoot, and the time to use the tool is a fraction of what it once was. And we've even had a few people confess to me that they like using the new tool. So for a little bit more on teamwork, though, I will hand the reins over to Devin. All right. Thanks, Jack. So uh, this is Todd Rhodes. He's a senior product manager here at RainFocus. He's going to be speaking right after me. And I am Devin Cameron, one of the senior UX designers. And together, we lead the team Datatron. <laughs> um, obviously, we're the defenders of the universe, so, or the dataverse, so we oversee the reporting and dashboarding needs of our customers, and ultimately uh, get our users to a place where they can make better data-driven decisions for their attendees and events. And I will specifically be talking today about team dynamics and how an outcome-driven mindset can improve your team culture and individual performance. Uh, Marty Kagan, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, he was the founder of the Silicon Valley product group and he's thought to be a, a thought leader in product management. He once said, unsuccessful product teams most often are all feature factories with little regard for whether or not the features actually solve the underlying business problems. Progress for them is measured by output and not outcome. Uh, not to say that it's not cool to crank out a lot of code as a team, that's, that's great, but what he's saying here is if you're not leading to outcomes for your users, it's kind of, it, it's not a definition of success. So let's like, take a look at outputs versus outcomes. In the product world, an output is what your team builds versus an outcome, which is the desired results of your efforts. And an output doesn't naturally lead to an outcome without some, some work. Uh, for example, <laughs> when we first moved into this building, this thing obviously wasn't connected properly. Someone clearly put a lot of work into this faucet. It looks like it belongs on a spaceship. Um, you know, the, uh, there was a designer that made this thing look super sleek. There was a programmer that designed the software to detect my hand and dispense something. But if we're looking at outcomes, I was looking to walk away with clean hands. And instead, I walked away with diseases. <laughs> so what you build is meaningless if it doesn't solve the right problem. So something we've been really passionate about here at RainFocus is solving this question. How do you align your teams around an outcome? I think all of us are going to be pretty familiar with this, but in development, we typically, to get something from a problem to a solution, will follow some form or iteration of this cycle. Define, ideate, design, build, and measure. And throughout my career as a designer, I've worked on a variety of teams and companies that handle this cycle in different ways. And I wanted to illustrate to you guys how the team dynamic of how you do things uh, ultimately leads to a good or bad outcome. So imagine that your product team is rowing a boat in a race. Uh, in the classic waterfall method, which I'm sure a lot of us have experienced, it's really hard to gain alignment as a team around what you're going to deliver. So in this case, the outcome is we just need to cross the finish line. And individuals on the team don't really get involved until it's their turn in the process. So it's just really, it's like a game of telephone. You're going to lose in translation what that outcome is supposed to be for the user. It's, take you, it's going to take you a really long time to cross that finish line. 
And since it takes so long, you're probably not going to measure. You just want to move on to the next thing. I've also worked on very unstructured teams where there's no PM. You're kind of left to solve the problem on your own as an individual on the team, and everyone is solving it from their own perspective. So again, super hard to align around an outcome. In fact, on some of these teams I've been on, there was like a hero mentality where everyone wanted to be that guy that solved the problem, and he's going to be the one rowing the fastest. So as you can see, we got nowhere fast. And something that we're trying here at Rain Focus uh, is something around team thinking, like get the entire team involved throughout all steps of the process. While certain individuals on the team may have like domain knowledge over one of these steps, it's actually a shared uh, outcome-driven solution, and we all get to own it together. Uh, paired with MVP and you know just breaking things down into smaller chunks like we've been talking about, this allows your team to reach those outputs really quickly, get those important numbers knocked out, but also delivering something really quickly that you can measure and then move on to the next iteration. So like we mentioned earlier, um, we do some specific things here at Rain Focus that help us achieve this on our teams. At the definition phase, uh, we do project briefs. We get the team together to ask and answer the right questions before we ever start talking about the solution. And we get the teams kicked off you know, when we start breaking things down into smaller features to make sure everyone's still aligned around the problem that we're trying to solve. At the ideation phase, we do a lot of workshops and whiteboarding sessions, uh, just making sure people on the teams are connecting with the problem and connecting with the end user. And we're able to brainstorm solutions from a wide variety of perspectives. At the design phase, which I'm super passionate about as a designer, uh, I get the entire team involved at every stage of design, from low fidelity all the way up to the high fidelity pro prototypes. I try to get the team excited about uh, usability tests, uh, allow them to influence what we're going to test, what scenarios and what feature sets we're looking to test. And then once we've done that work, uh, reporting back to the team how things went, get them excited around the success of, of what we tested and, and get them aligned around the thing that they're going to build and uh, have confidence that it's going to solve the right problem. And then similar to that on the, on the developer side, when they go to build, we do a lot of code reviews and demos just at our desk, um, holding each other accountable to that outcome because we're all up to speed with the outcome that we're trying to reach. And then lastly, doing a lot of testing as a team to make sure we didn't break anything and that this thing is actually going to work for the user. And then to talk more about, you know, once this is in the user's hands, what do we do? Like, really, that's where the, the work begins. So for that, I'm going to turn the time over to Todd. Thanks, Devin. Seven, seventh inning stretch, people. We're almost there. We're almost there. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you uh, get through my presentation. We uh, uh, stuck cupcakes to the bottom of everybody's chairs so you can... No? We didn't? Oh, <laughs> this is going to be rough then. Well. We've struggled with measuring success here at Rain Focus. Um, we've been trying to change that. Uh, eventually, this is kind of how it happens, we, we push our MVP, right? We, we've, we've built it, taken a new feature, a new product, and jumps out of the nest. <clears throat> our customers are excited because they've been wanting this feature forever. Our salespeople have actually already sold it. 
uh, developers are just sick of working on it, and me, I'm ready to just get going on the next roadmap item. So I didn't see anything broken, turn around, and nothing to see here. Everything's great. And then my boss asked me if this thing was successful. And I say, of course, because we shipped it. This, dude, this goes on for like a minute. It is <laughs> just vicious. So <clears throat> if we just look at the output, right, we're not really understanding what the customer is doing with our, with our product. Output measurements are, are easy. I think we're all kind of familiar with them. This is our best burn down chart that we've ever had. You know, story count, velocity, cycle time, those kinds of things. Uh, when I first started here, the, the, the thing that we touted was that we ship a lot of product. We write a lot of code. But it really doesn't tell you uh, that much about your customer. We often forget that the goal of an MVP is to learn. And the best way to really understand that success or failure is to look at the, uh, the user outcomes and, and what they're doing. You measure the value so you can decide you know, whether I need to pivot or are we, are we going to keep it iterating on this. I saw this billboard on I-15 just the other day as I was thinking about outcomes. I think it was for real estate. And it tells me that they were successful. I had a great outcome, but I don't really know what it is. It's because measuring outcomes can be difficult, right? The output ones are easy. Out, uh, outcomes, not so much. Um, in order to focus on outcomes, we really should be focusing on the why uh, rather than, than the what. Why our customer is doing this thing that they're doing. It should consider the job that they're trying to do. And ideally, it would measure the value of the user, uh, the value to the user, and, and the value to the business itself. And it should ideally show the difference that was made in the, in the user's processes in their life. Like Ingrid said, we, had this, we have this measurement guide. And it's a work in progress. Um, it, it, we'll give it to you, but it's, it, it may not fit every need that you have. Um, but it's a good starting point, I think. And it describes the different types of measurements, uh, where to find them, how to use them. So I want to take you through a little bit of a case study on something that we've done recently. Um, we call this thing Report Builder. We needed this reporting tool in order for our customers to get data out of our system. And we had a number of solutions, right? We had this BI tool that we had integrated that only people who were BI certified could really use. We had the search tool, which just didn't give me enough data. Um, but it was really easy to use. We had a SQL tool, so you had to be a DBA to and understand what our, our system looked like in order to get the reports out. So we talked to our customers. We got a list of features that they wanted, and man, there's some heavy expectations because they weren't too happy about what we, what, we, what we had. And this list was, this is just part of it, but the list was huge. So we started ideating, you know, as, as Devin talked about. Uh, we tried to fit in as many features as possible. You know, we, we went through a bunch of different mock-ups and, and we really wanted to try to satisfy everyone. Uh, the, the key feature that we, that we came up with was this smart tool that would allow you to take blocks of data and stick them together in a visual way and it was, it was going to be fantastic. Really what we were trying to do was this, right? We were trying to satisfy everyone and make it, make it easy to use. Um, it was going to be magical. It was going to be magical. But it was going to take us years to build it probably. So we took a step back. Um, we decided on a persona to focus on, uh, which, we, which we talked about. And, and then we defined outcomes that were going to be important to this persona. Um, things like they wanted to increase the ease of use of creating a report. They wanted it to be fast. Uh, they wanted it to be reliable. And if we could do those three things, we'd be successful. 
<clears throat> so then we looked at measurements. How could we measure those things? Uh, so what we did is we came up with questions. If we could answer these questions, uh, then the measurements were good. Uh, some, some measurements are easy to get at, right? Usage. Um, we could do polling questions on, on different things. Uh, we, used, we used Pendo for a lot of that. Um, things like confidence, maybe it was a little bit tougher to get at. So we had to get a little creative. The idea that you know, if they shared the report, then that meant that they were confident if they shared it with other people. So we could use that as, as a measurement. So what we ended up building and designed looked something like this. It was for more or less technical customers. It had a much smaller feature set. Uh, it had a lot more guardrails and safeguards on it. But it allowed us to get it in front of our users more quickly so we could get some feedback. And our first release got rid of that whole idea of visual drag and drop, whatever. And we just gave them prepackaged templates that they could start with as a, as a jump off point. So they weren't just faced with, a, with an empty screen. And we released it to a small group. We solicited feedback. And we monitored the, met the metrics. You guys have all heard this in one form or another. I'd say the, the corollary to this is that uh, your team will build what you measure. Uh, decisions by the team will be influenced by the metrics you're looking at, even if you don't have that data yet. So going back to those outcomes uh, that, that we started with, you know, ease of use, that led us to do a lot more UX. It led us to do a lot more user testing than we normally have done. Uh, the need for speed, that led to significant upfront database changes instead of just kind of throwing it out there and then, well, we'll tweak it later. We knew that we needed to get, we needed to get that speed up, so changes were made early. Reliability of data. Um, we actually introduced uh, unit testing into, into our framework, which we hadn't really done a lot of that. We've been trying to move really fast. But we knew that if we broke something, that would be the end of it. We also built a dashboard for our team. We have BI guys on our team, so sorry if you don't have BI guys. It's a lot easier to build dashboards if you have them. Um, to, to show metrics of, of how things were running. And we try to review those weekly. Uh, the data helped us understand you know, where we had feature gaps uh, with our customers. And we actually reprioritized quite a few things based off of data that we got back. Because we, we really wanted adoption on this. So this is kind of what it looked like over the last six months. And I pulled this just this, uh, just this week. When we launched it, our, our rain, internal rain focus people, who are proficient at creating reports, because they've had to create the reports, you know, they, they, they took to it pretty well. Our customers, not so much. And as we iterated, as we made changes to the features, as we uh, tried to streamline some of the things and listen to their feedback, man, they just, they just shot up. And in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping that we're going to have more reports created in our system by customers than by our own internal uh, people. So in summary, try to select those metrics, that, those outcome metrics, before you even start building. And then review those metrics during the build. And then make sure that you monitor them after the release. Um, and then you can use that data to continue to iterate or, or pivot if you need to. So if we stay focused on the outcomes, hopefully our baby will survive and grow up to be a product that does some good in the world. As a best. A little dazed, perhaps, but all in one piece. Woo! Thank goodness. <laughs> if you want to see the full video, Google uh, Chick Jumps Off Cliff. And you may have to scroll through some stuff, but it's there. It's, 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 it's fascinating stuff. Thank you. Turn it back over to Ingrid.
Sorry about that. It must have been traumatic. I know I had a hard time watching that the first time. So we covered a lot here today. Um, so I wanted to kind of go through some of the takeaways. Um, so besides being scarred for life by watching that video, hopefully you have some good takeaways around MVPs. So first of all, thinking about how we can deliver a full experience, even at the MVP stage, knowing who you're building it for and how those personas might change over time, and then solving the right problem at the right time, involving your entire team in that process, and then lastly, being very specific and intentional about measuring success. A big thanks to Ingrid Cruz, Jack Aidy, Rob Metcalf, David Cameron, and Todd Rhodes for presenting, and again to Rain Focus for hosting the event. If you learned some things from their talk, be sure to share it with your team, or share it on Twitter, and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.